good night wherever and whenever you are. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Understood Properly with Brian Thornton. And today, Khalil comes back to the show. Or I guess technically this is his first time on the show, so he is my guest. doesn't really matter. We're going to talk about his piece, A World Without Nuance. And this is the beginning of our conversation. We talk about his piece, his internship, what he discovered in D.C., and uh, what he discovered when he was in Europe. Also, quick apologies for the audio quality. It's a little bit lower than what I am used to putting out. My mic was a little soft, but you can still hear everything. I just, uh, just apologies in advance for it, and I'll get better in the future. So without further ado, let's welcome Khalil to the show. Khalil, welcome back. Well, I guess this is the first time you're on Understood Properly, so welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Brian. Oh, yeah. Looking forward to another wonderful conversation between the two of us. So you just got back from Europe, correct? Yeah. So I've been in uh, Washington, D.C., working with Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation as a government relations uh, intern. And then I traveled to Europe and went to... uh, Central Europe, uh, you know, I don't know where you count Switzerland, I guess that is Central Europe, um, as well as the Baltic states, Riga, uh, Latvia, and Estonia as well. So I saw a lot of uh, I saw a lot of what communism and uh, collectivism and stuff um, can do to a country, can do to a culture. So I am back. I'm ready to uh, ready to go, ready to explore some new things, uh, business and economics mostly, uh, but definitely having uh, a background. And, and a deep under, deeper understanding of, of communism and collectivism and a liberal attitudes towards world affairs, uh, what it can do. Yeah, and I think, um, well, you just wrote another great piece for subversivelibertyorg called A World Without Nuance. So before we kind of get into the main points of it, do you want to set up what prompted you to write this to begin with? Yeah, so it became a an odd thing that I had to come to terms with about uh, when I was in DC and the the thing that I had to come to terms with was that I didn't know everything that I thought that I knew and I didn't realize that um, the world was black and white you know specifically working at, at VOC we do a lot with foreign relations um, and foreign affairs and to me it seemed very easy to understand foreign affairs and foreign uh, problems through the world of through through the lens of libertarianism only and, and, and not looking at um, other factors and other causes of uh, the, the the problems that we're seeing today, uh, j- just generally speaking, anything to do with um, communism in in China, uh, anything to do with Russian nihilism, all, all all this, all these all these attitudes and all these um, things add to the problems that we're seeing, and it's not just government that's causing the problems. Um, I mean, government does cause a lot of the problems, and it can be directly attributed to government intervention, but it becomes a lot more than just. Um, how I was seeing it, which was this is the government's fault, and once we remove government from the situation, the government everything is going to be uh, utopian or it's going to be like you know much better. Um, and that's just it's just not true. Um, it, I, I, one of the things I had to finally concede to myself, um, and this is going to sound unlibertarian, but I think that it's um, I think that it's good because I was forming an opinion based on evidence and logic and, and what I was seeing. But I think that there in some cases. Uh, sanctions placed on individuals, I think that that is, and freezing their assets, I think that is totally justified, and I don't think it's contradictory. Um, speaking to a libertarian about um, sanctions on an individual's property in the United States, I don't think that they would be super um, keen on doing that, mm-hmm. um, and they'd be pretty quick to denounce it. But that's a that's a separate issue. That's a specific instance of where I had to concede that actually doing something like that, freezing the assets, and I was posing questions during this time uh, in regards to making an equivalency to straw purchasing. Right. Yeah, I remember it quite uh, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and 
I was, you know, and I had to come to terms that it's not, it's not as easy as, um, you know, a beautiful anarchy, as Jeffrey Tucker would like to say, um, when the government gets out of the way, because I don't think that that is how things are going to play out. And I think that there's obvious evidence to show that. And I think there's obvious and what seem to be contradictory solutions to a problem that are would actually make the situation better if we kind of get away from this dogmatic thinking of once my plan is in place, then utopia becomes real. Mm-hmm. Well, this so. is, yeah, this is kind of the danger of ideology, right? Or at least that's one of the ways that I would put it. And it's interesting that you were kind of going through this in DC and I was actually going through similar things. And that's kind of what led to this rebranding where like, you know, I don't, this show is, I don't really consider this show a libertarian show, right? This isn't going to be something where we just constantly harp on the non-aggression principle and talk about why that's a better way of, of, if if everyone just agreed with us, like you were saying, that everything is going to become perfect because to the point of your article, we do live in a world of nuance. And if we really want to understand things, and that's kind of where I'm trying to bring it is I want to, I want to try and bring things to a place of understanding not necessarily solution, because if we're constantly looking for solutions to the point of your article, we tend to just take one one answer and roll with it. So what? Um, so 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 it was that sort of a thing where you kind of where you changed yeah. your own thinking that really drove it was, you to writing this. Yeah, it was. So just expanding further on it a bit, it was more about how I thought that libertarians. I think tend to because of you know the knowledge of economics and that's a huge a huge part of just you know human action in general and and, and human affairs is just economic affairs because that's you know the what economics is essentially um, and because there's a, there's a huge and there's a great and there's a fundamental understanding of economics um, in the libertarian community it seems that we like to place ourselves above human nature mm-hmm. and what I found that and and how I found that to be true is we tend to think that we're not susceptible to the other failings of political movements. Yeah. Um, and one of those would be, and it's, it's quite, it's a quite funny contradictory when I were quite funny contradiction, excuse me. When I started thinking about it was communists, young communists usually have this, you know, this ideal plan. Um, you can think Pol Pot, you can think um, Lenin when he was, when he was, you know, robbing banks to get money for this revolution. Um, they all had this, this, this plan. And once everybody adheres to this plan, um, I, you know, that, and that comes from a fundamental understanding of what they think that they know to be absolutely true about the world without nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, once they implement this plan, then there's going to be this communist utopia in their case. Um, and in our case, it would be once we implement these plan, this plan, um, you know, all these like, you know, all these free market things, then it's going to, it's, it's going to all work out and everything's going to be beautiful and, and there's not going to be any problems. And I just simply don't buy that uh, because. Yeah. Libertarians do not understand everything that they think that they understand. And nobody, it's not just a libertarian or a young communist problem or a communist problem. It's that nobody understands the world actually as well as they think that they do. They like to think that they do more than they do. Yeah. Um, so it kind of sounds like you've come a little bit closer to my, my, my skeptical position on things a little bit. Right, through that. right. It's, it's not so much, it's not even so much as, as I'm like as, as more skeptical, I should say, but I'm definitely, well... I'm I'm more understanding that the problem isn't isn't singular, and yeah. I used to think that the singular problem was government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think to be maybe fair to how we how we got to that point, because it's um I, I liked what you were talking about, where like you know there's the economics, and once you once you figure out at least basic economics, you suddenly see all the ways in which the state essentially um what's the word uh 
distorts market, yeah. you know, natural market functions. And that's a lot of what we've talked about. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I haven't, I haven't gone anywhere from like my economic positions on things. I do still think no. that I, I, no. understanding economics is key. So like you said, understanding human action, but how that translates to the political realm is where I think we run into a lot of issues. And of course, I think we've seen this both in terms of the quote unquote libertarian party and, yeah. and, and just yeah. uh, libertarians more in general, these, you know, the, the quote unquote freedom minded people and how, whenever we seem to enter the political realm, we, um, we, we just, we lose, we lose a lot of what, of what, of, we lose a lot of the debate completely. And that's kind yeah. of, been, that's become where at least I've been trying to direct my thinking as of late is trying to understand the nuance and trying to figure out where we can have these kinds of conversations. Um, so let's let's start. So let's get into yeah. your article a little bit. Yeah. So you said the disease is difficult to spot and even more difficult to address. It's seemingly harmless, but bolsters an ignored ideological divide between liberalism and illiberalism. How much, when you were in D.C., how much did you find people talking about liberal versus illiberal ideas? And how much was it, how much was that not part of the conversation or part of the conversation? Sure. Because I think for you and I, it, it really gets to the heart of issues, whether you take this inherently liberal approach. And again, you know, liberalism understood properly mm -hmm. being a big theme of both of our work, especially mine, and versus like an illiberal perspective that says, you know, that essentially technocrats are the ones who should be able to rule over us for no reason. And of course, this is appropriate considering we just had the G7 summit <laughs> summit this past <laughs> weekend in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just generally outside of like, you know, the, the libertarian circles, there's no discussion of of liberalism versus illiberalism. Um, it's and it's it's quite sad when I was living with my roommates. um and we, we were living in basically a really large house um, with separate apartments. Everybody was seeing the world as Democrat versus Republican. Um, it seemed that there was very few discussions of philosophy or, or just like general, you know, fundamental principles. Yeah. Um, rather than just, you know, what Trump did today or what Trump did this week or what he's going to do um, and how that reflects on the Republican Party or, or whatever it is. And. You know, I was I was in I was in D.C. for March for Life um, during you know during the shootings or well, after the shootings, and it's it's the same type of repetitive uh, repetition. Excuse me, it's the same type of um, circular thinking where it's the where it's you know it's it's the Republicans who are the problem and the Democrats are the solution. Vote Democrat, you solve the problem. Um, and there's nothing there's no discussion of you know why did this happen, why why you know is there. Is there a solution that we can uh, come to? Is that solution going to have consequences? Are those consequences contradictory to what we want to solve? Um, there, is it is it even uh, worth pursuing? Is it um, is it principled to pursue this, or is is there a philosophical basis to it? Um, there was always there there was never that. It was always power dynamics. Um, it was always a rush for power, and um, sadly so because as I was saying before. These nobody really understands the world as much as they'll give themselves credit yes. um, for understanding the world. Um, but it, it, and that's it, it's a it's a scary it's a scary um it's a scary thing to have witnessed that coming in with like um, not only an open mind but just like a, a liberal attitude for uh, for well a, a mostly open mind in regards to just you know trying to to learn things but a liberal attitude as well because it was never the discussions that we had were never liberal versus a liberal it was who has power and who's going to implement the plan that i think is the best plan 
Yeah. Yeah. Which team, which team is the one that I'm going to be right. rooting for essentially. Right. If we want to, if right. we want to break it down another way. Exactly. And this, so, and so in the article you talk about the one, what is this? Um, you talk about like gun control. And so you were saying you were in DC throughout all of this. And of course you're surrounded by people who have dedicated themselves to the political process in one form or another. Right. Is that fair? Would you say that's fair to say? Yeah. That, absolutely, that one absolutely, way or absolutely. the other, they believe that by, by being a part of the political process, they can actually, uh, in, implement change that they think would be uh that they think would would actually benefit people and so you have this you have this um you have this part of the where you talk about that people will try to attribute gun violence in the inner city now was it that people were always talking about the inner city or would they just kind of use that as like a bludgeon that they could that they could crack people over the heads with because yeah, this was um, this was not this is a, actually an attack on both sides and both mm-hmm. and, and rhetoric um because they're, and it's, it's, I hate, I, I get sick when I hear this, when I hear rhetoric, but to hear rhetoric from people who I know are smarter yeah. than this, um, to say that gun violence happens because there are gun-free zones is just, is just not true. I mean, there's, there's, it could be a cause and it could, it could be, it could have made the situation easier to have, to, to do a slaughter, but it's not, it's not because there's a gun-free zone. That this person just one day picked up is if if gun free zones were the problem, then somebody could just pick up. Would everybody who would go to a gun store would just buy a gun and then walk into a gun free zone and then uh, not and walk into a gun open zone or whatever it is and not shoot there, but then shoot in the gun free zone. Yeah. Um, so it's it's ridiculous to say that. It's also ridiculous to say that um, getting rid of guns or any sort of gun control is going to solve the problem because it's it's empirically not true. And it's it's not fundamental to, or it's it's contradictory to, the goal of a free and open society, um, which is what I think that they they want. Although their means of getting there is through different means, through different tools. Is it the I, yeah? That's well, that's kind of the interesting thing, right? That's something that I'm I struggle with when I hear people talking about how we have to do something and we have to effectively ban guns because that's that's where the, that's where the, the conversation always seems to circle back to is we need sure. to get rid of this particular type of object object so you would say that it is the case that these people are interested in a free and open society do you think so is it is it a matter of ideological possession then that they don't see where the they don't they don't see the roots of their position is it just yeah i think i think that the first definition i think that they uh, maybe I should I should backtrack. They want a free and open society, but freedom to them obviously is going to have a different definition. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I forgot uh, the the quotes, but there's a quote that said um, it might have been actually one of my professors, but he said no, no, um, no philosophers teaching uh, uh, is is trying to say the the purpose of humans is to be enslaved, and that's in that and that's it. And everybody's Karl Marx is talking about freedom. He's talking yeah. different kind of freedom. It's defined differently. Mm-hmm. Um, the the liberals talk about freedom in in, in a much different way. Um, but I think that they do want a free and open society according to them. And according to them, it's, it's like, like it is on the reactionary or the right, the, the hard right. Um, it's, it's order and it's, um, plan, it's planned order, mm-hmm. which turns into planned chaos as, um, as Mises would say. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I was a little, I guess I was a little insulated from those debates because I'm not on a college campus anymore. And, sure. um, most of the people that, uh, uh, most of the people that I that I work with now are, are okay with the idea of guns because a lot of them are just you know blue collar types. But I certainly I certainly get the regurg- what I call regurgitation or the political rhetoric that seems to come up all the time where 
every single time that you go into these kinds of conversations, you know the direction that they're going to head before they even make their arguments because they're just repeating what they heard from their favorite talking head. And I don't think that's, um, I think, I think to some extent that's just a, that's just a consequence of the herd or just people who don't have the time to think things through fully. But you even, you would say that you even discovered this amongst people who would consider themselves part of the conversation, so to speak. Yeah. Um, you know, what you're saying goes back to a conversation I had, um, with a group of people a few days ago, actually. Um, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about a whole host of issues, but gun control was the guns were the, were the main one. And it came back to, um, it came back to keep, they kept repeating the same rhetoric. Uh, one of the, one of the things that, uh, that frustrated me the most, the part of rhetoric was you do you either want, you either want guns or you want kids to die. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah, obviously, you... a false equivalency, and and they're not. That's not something that you think about. You're like, you know, I think that um, you know, if, if there's either there's either guns or there's um, kids dying, and I need to think about this logically and empirically. Of course, that's not what they're thinking. They're they're getting this from the talking heads at MSNBC or the pundits at CNN or or somebody on Slate or Salon or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're not um, they're not engaging with it um, seriously, and that's that's a scary thing, especially because like, you know, going to your question, uh, with the kids in DC who are, um, who are going to have the, uh, the resume and the attributes to actually be conducting, you know, political operations and, and, and being in political office mm-hmm. for them to be holding those same ignorant and obviously false pieces of rhetoric and using them in their repertoire, using them in the repertoire, using them, um, to, to, to to conduct politics it's it's scary um and just the even even part of the fundamental thing is they don't know what they're they don't know everything about the world that they think that they know and on top of that they're using they're not getting to a real logical empirical non-contradictory position they're just uh, positing themselves in a position where they um, can get ahead in dc and it's it was really sad it was it was actually really sad to see and it's this isn't this isn't just a left-wing thing this is people on the right we're doing the same thing people that that you would have thought would be allies we're doing the same thing Mm -hmm. yeah well i think i think it's um well i'd like to think or at least maybe and maybe i'm maybe i'm oversimplifying it but and while i think it's a part of human thinking to begin with right so you know there is something's either going to kill you or it's going to keep you alive right we can understand that basic instinctual sort of idea that kind of drives us forward and essentially is the case for why we've been able to keep living right you know so if you know you know that if you I don't know, you jump into a pool of water, you should actually be able to swim because otherwise it's going to be able to, it's going to kill you. But I was, um, when I was talking to Matt a few weeks ago, we were doing, um, we were, we were talking kind of about the, you know, individualism and and the political process, because this is something that I'm, this idea of political rhetoric, uh, political reasoning, wedge issues, political, what I call like political footballs and such is, is something that I'd like to try and bring light to and, while you know, in a conversation between you and I, we're at least in most most we're in, we're in large agreement on on how this on how this affects. But I likened it to two icebergs, right? And so there's this constant metaphor of the iceberg that says, you know, there's only the you know only the top is what's visible, and you have to go beneath the surface to see how far down it goes. And it was um, and so I, I just made the point that a lot of times political thinking is standing at the top of the iceberg and yelling at the person be- on, at the other iceberg and saying why you're wrong that your iceberg is better than not mine. Whereas it's the the case, the role for the philosopher, what I would argue, or the care, just the careful thinker. You don't have to ascribe some 
over grandiose label to somebody to have for them to be a part of the solution or a part of reasoning and, and so on, where you actually have to dive down. But if you're in the water, it's dangerous because you could realize that maybe your iceberg go, doesn't go as far as you think, or maybe your iceberg is connected to another one, or, you know, this is where a mm-hmm. metaphor starts to break down. But how, how much of this do you think is, uh, what would you say? What would you say to the idea that this is what happens when we have a society that's overly politicized and we, we push everything into the political realm. Is that, do you think that's a point that just falls on deaf ears when libertarians or, you know, what I'd call liberals understood properly try to make the point that we should, that we shouldn't make these things matters of government control and we should try and figure them them out peacefully? And right. is that even something that we can do? I mean, it's because, it's you know, people will come back and say, well, like, well, this is obviously the way it has to happen because otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I think that. Um, one, obviously the scariest thing for me, and I think for most people on the right would be, or I I say right very broadly, but I mean conservatives and libertarians broadly and generally, um, is to give government control of, of things like this, because once government gets control of it, it's not, (laughs) they're, they're going to control it for a while, um, without some sort of grand, um, legal precedent set or without you know violence happening the, the government's going to control it so i think that that's just why um it's very it's always very dangerous to give something that's so difficult to understand to um and so complex like an issue like uh gun violence in in the u.s um to gu- the hands of government which um you know essentially are people who research and and people who people come in and research and tell their their findings to you know people these older guys who don't know what they're really talking about and are just trying to be elected next semester, uh, next term, and they um, and then they just vote on it, and that's in usually voting the line. Um, so I think that it I think that it does have to do with uh, oversimplification and and a politicization of the U.S. But I think that it also has to do with and this goes back to um, Plato and just kind of like this was this mm-hmm. is really where where I was getting at. I'm um, really what I was thinking, and I when I posted about this, this is what I said. Um, it's okay to admit that you don't know what you don't know that th- you don't know the solution. It's okay to admit that you don't have a full grasp on the problem. It's probably smarter yeah. to say that you don't know a full the full grasp of the problem because then you're acknowledging that there's so many other factors to it. There's so much to it that you need to explore that you need to understand in order for you to make um, any sort of common sense any sort of non-contradictory solution um so it, and, and in my piece i also said be careful people who are giving you a prepackaged plan anybody yeah. it, it you know it's 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 scary because just as the just as we think that we were right and we know exactly what the solution is and we have diagnosed the problem perfectly and we know the solution you know socialists and and and, and reactionary conservatives and progressives they all they're doing the same thing it's you know we we do tend to have well we do have you know much more empirical and logical evidence on our on on the side of economics um and and generally but for for somebody to have a prepackaged plan um and to give it to you it's very scary and for uh, the political america and the people in dc who i spoke with to accept that and to not question it and to not um dig deep into it i think that it's um I think that it's sad. And and just one more point on this. This is why I uh, – this is another reason why because part of that prepackaged foreign policy libertarian plan of which I subscribed yeah. to mm-hmm. was uh, no sanctions on anything ever. Okay. And I, I was dogmatic of thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took, a, it took me about two weeks. Uh, my supervisors had me um, research things on um, – 
on uh, the Global Magnitsky Act, um, which is basically you you can you Magnitsky someone. It's the verb I created, but it's when the U.S. Department of Treasury uh, freezes accounts of basically like some of the worst men in the world, um, just totalitarian uh, oligarchs right. that just do terrible human rights violations, and it was because of that that. Um, and when I was doing research on it and I was finding evidence of it working and it not being contradictory to our end, and of course, then I started thinking about the equivalency of the straw purchasing and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. I, had to, I had to realize that, wow, I took a prepackaged libertarian plan and I ran with it and I talked to so many people about it. And everybody I spoke with about the problems of foreign policy um, in regards to the U.S. perspective, I always blamed the U.S. and I didn't blame anything else. I I, I was very, you know, I, I had a monolithic view on, on foreign policy because that's just kind of how I, I've been taught. And I I took the prepackaged plan and I rolled with it. And in two weeks, I was proven wrong. Yeah. Well, and I don't think, um, well, maybe I'll say sometimes, right, because it's not, it's, sometimes it's not one or the other. It's both can be can be an issue for it. Um, and perhaps U.S. libertarians are a little more quick to criticize the U.S. government, but we could say that could be partially and that could be part and part that could, that could be in part a, um, a, you know, taking the beam out of your own eye before you remove the speck from your brother's sure. sort of a thing. Sure. Because I do think I, I mean, I don't think you're, you've completely come to the other side that says, like, you know, the U.S. foreign policy hasn't had negative consequences no. in the world right so but it's but it's more that you came to a more nuanced position which is to say yes the u.s might be doing some bad stuff but other people are doing bad stuff too yeah and that's, and that, that's that's exactly that's exactly it no i'm not in no way am i an interventionist or any anything yeah. of the kind um but i think that there are um the u.s does bad stuff but there are there are definitely small things non-contradictory solutions to a very small problem and these problems the the, the problems that the that the magnitsky um act is is hit is targeting are, are generally very small they're very um mm-hmm. focused they're like one company so they know a lot about it there's been research on it um so they know so they know it and it has proven to do uh, or to have uh, to work and it's proven to be the consequences proved to be not um you know not contradictory at any means um and certainly not Broad. It's usually just targeted on the person who's doing it. Um, so, yeah, I I was wrong, and um, it was it, it was just hard. Um, and I finally admitted it. And it's um, well, it's oddly enough, it brings you safety. Uh, yeah. To, to to admit that you're that you don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I had um I had a teacher in high school, and I think I've talked about this a few different times. But he he said there's there's an important part in life where you learn to just wallow in the complexity of a situation, and that's that's really where I'd like to try and create a space for the show is we can wallow in this complexity. He's like you you won't understand this. You don't really understand this now, but you will. And it was about like a year and a half ago where the first where like those words kind of echoed back in my ears. I'm like hmm. Doc Collinger, I get what you're talking about now. Right. <laughs> like, I understand what you mean, that sometimes it's better to just wallow in the complexity of the situation. Because, like, okay, so, for, and I remember very well when you were when you were going through this, because you were, you were constantly putting it in the group chat. And, I mean, I think I did a decent job of at least trying to defend the basic position that says no sanctions. But even, even I mean, after repeated and repeated back and forth, even I came to the point where, like, you know, I think it's better to err on the side of caution, which says sanctions are a bad thing. But there were certain cases that you presented, like um, American companies selling spying technology to the Chinese, case right, in point, right. where, you know, this is this is literally going to be used to to oppress people. 
part and parcel. Right. Like there is no there's no gray area when it comes to that. We know what the Chinese government is trying to do. To a certain extent, the U.S. government's probably trying to do it to, to mm-hmm. trying to do it as well. They just have to be a little more in the um, in the shadows about it, and they can't be as right. open and honest with it. But it's um, and I think this I think this this need for nuance, this need for non-ideological thinking. I'm trying to, I am trying as whatever I, in whatever way I can to strip myself of ideology and to see what's left. That doesn't mean again, like I haven't given up on economics, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't given up on, I haven't given up on the idea of non-interventionism or even non-aggression because those seems to be, as you would put it in your piece, would you put that as a, um, hang on, I'm looking for the two different things. That yeah. You use, the non-contradictory, non-contradictory truth. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no. So to be a hundred percent clear, um, uh, non, the non-aggression principle. So for, for me, the non-aggression principle is a principle that uh, can never be contradicted. As soon as you contradict the non-aggression principle, as soon as you go against it, um, you're going to be facing just in, empirically and logically, you're going to be facing a lot of mm-hmm. um, a lot. You're going to be facing problems, and you're you're contradicting reality. That's that's just my view. Yeah, and so I like it's to an, say it's, it's it's a good place to start. Yeah, because it, it, there's, it is. This, there's this problem with like the rationalist, what I what I what I would call the the hyper rationalist or the quote unquote or the dogmatic thinker. Is which is somebody who's trying to build out. I've given you the metaphor of the room before or the house before, right? Where there's like somebody. I don't know. I know like how the house should look, but I don't know what each room is going to be made up of. If we consider, you know, all yeah. of human society to be a house, I don't. I don't care what each room looks like. I'm just more concerned that the house is built well and it's on a strong foundation and we can all live in peace because. I think if peace isn't going to be your goal, well, if peace isn't your stated goal, well, then that should that that should tell you something about about who the person is. And right. the problem with that, to your point about Karl Marx, is that people tend to always argue from the from the standpoint of that they want peace, that they want freedom for people, right. that they don't want uh, conflict and aggression and all these things. And so, how? If we're going to say that the political process is is doing this, and I don't I don't have the answer to this, but we say mm-hmm. if if the political process is causing these necessary divides, where else can this conversation happen? Because I don't I don't know that it ever happened really in my time in, in my time at university. Sure, that is a good question. Um, I don't think it's going to happen at my time at here at UW Madison. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just too much. Um, it's too easy. It's too easy to be, you know, the tribalist to just kind of fall in line with your people um, and hang out with your people and, you know, point across the fence or across the, the line at the other people, at the other tribe and and just, you know, make fun of them or not join in any sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. In regards to like where it can actually, it can take place. Um, I think that the internet for, you know, did a lot to help with that. Unfortunately, I think that it's now more or less, you know, pivoting to become an echo chamber um, with Facebook and YouTube and Instagram all, you know, creating their algorithms to give you what you want to see rather than um, giving you everything that you should see, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, I have I have very I have progressive friends on my on my friends list, on my friends list. I have stuff that should come up in my timeline. However, the only thing I'm seeing is uh, are articles and and things shared of my position because Facebook has uh, labeled me as the this the conservative or whatever however very they label the yeah that's just the very conservative people so so you know on their algorithm i'm only getting um the stuff that i'm seeing so the people i'm arguing with or the people i would argue with i don't argue on facebook but the people i would argue with would be people who are you know 90 percent in agreement with me and we have this argument on this 10 percent of uh, of something so um it's unfortunate but i don't know if the internet is 
heading in a direction that and just meme and troll culture well, not mm-hmm. meme culture but troll culture yeah. it's just it's just ruining it because because um, it's not it's not helping um, anything at all uh, I don't know mm-hmm. I think that's a good I think that that person who figures that out is gonna make a lot of money yeah that would <laughs> and, be nice <laughs> and yeah and I think that that person is going to actually do something uh, very good for um, the individuals in the United States and and it just just communication and political communication mm-hmm. um, just broadly. Yeah. Cause I think, I think in some respects it has to do it. Some of it's a training issue, right? Like some sure. of it is, is the fact that people are really, I mean, I, I certainly, I certainly noticed it that, you know, people are just brought, it, it was, it was something, how did I put it? It was, it was like a, it was like one of those gen ed courses that you had to take mm-hmm. and it was like science and society. And I sure. just noticed this was the same way in which kids who were early, because I went to Catholic school for like elementary, grade, uh, middle, and, and high school, it was the same way with like kids who weren't particularly interested in the more religious aspects would sort of walk through the motions when it was their time to lead prayer, mm-hmm. right? Or it was their time to talk about, or they were giving a presentation on something where it's not, it's never about, it's never about what you believe. People are way more concerned with what they think should be said in those right. situations and then right. of course so we'll go we'll, we'll break this off into left and right i guess a little bit and so people will people will criticize and say this is the left way of thinking or the right way of thinking and i certainly i certainly noticed it and then and or, and people will say like oh well you know you just just say what your professors want you to say right just 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 agree with your professors mm-hmm. well i i never i never found that to be a good way of going about things and it was never the way i, I went i wanted to go about things and I never had I never had that issue that people always seem to run into when they said, "Oh, the professor gave me a bad grade for this." Now, so maybe I just had better pre- better pre- professors than everyone else, mm-hmm. or maybe maybe it was the case that you were never prepared to actually write or argue well. Yeah. And, and so yeah. And what is this? And I don't know. I think that says a lot about how people are brought into the into the quote unquote the conversation, right? Which mm-hmm. nobody even understands to to our point here what the conversation is, right? We always talk about right. these things like left and right. Okay, do we consider libertarians to be on the right? I don't know that that's a that's a good way of putting it. I think there are right quote unquote leaning libertarians or left leaning libertarians, and I'm certainly. I think I've kind of come to the point where I used to think left and right didn't mean anything. And then I started to listen to people like Jonathan Haidt and mm-hmm. maybe started to understand that there's this thing called temper temperament. And so that's people are certain are maybe more have certain psychological psyche, what, what whatever you want to call it. They have this um, they have like predilections, let's say, and that maybe drives them to what we might call the left or right. Well, if that's the case, then left or right is sort of meaningless. Left or right means something when everyone has the big ideas together, kind of. Right. But if, but in this right. in this time frame where we don't have where we have some really different ideas about how the world should but, operate yeah, and how we should yeah. how, how we should operate within it, I think left and right is meaningless. And so that's where the liberal and I'm using that word in the proper sense, right, or what we might call libertarian. Even though I I find myself day by day not liking that word not liking the way that I see the word libertarian used in the media and um, on Facebook in like Facebook groups, I see just the constant bickering and the, and, and the bickering about completely inconsequential topics. Like I've said, you know, if, if I don't, I want to move beyond the political, right? I want to try and move the conversation beyond politics, but if we're going to talk about politics, okay, let's, and maybe this is, maybe this is just a libertarian truism, a prepackaged syringe that that's supposed to solve the, all the, all the ills of the world. But I'm like, okay, let's address the wars, right? Before we talk about what the proper immigration policy should be, maybe we should stop there. Maybe we should think about why people are coming here to begin with or the refugee right, crisis right. in, in, um, 
in in Europe. Now, actually, on that, while 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 I'm on that thought, did you see any of this? Of I mean, were, you weren't really in some of the oh. countries where it was. I'm just I'm kind of curious because yeah. you see like well, the, ma- the media saying one thing and then you see alternative media saying another thing. So so yeah, I've been there. I was there last year too. Um, it is so. There's the 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 most immigration that I saw were um, looked like they were West Africans, mm-hmm. um, not Northern Africans. It looked like they were from Nigeria or Ghana, okay. um, somewhere somewhere in that region. Um, but and. To to their to their credit, a lot of them learned German or or, or French, which is where I w- saw a lot, a lot of them. Yeah. Um. So assimilation of of West Western Africans, I never saw anything like that. Um. I know that there was a lot of, there was quite a bit of, graffiti and um, uh, stickers put up about immigration. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't in Hungary. I wasn't in Poland. Right. 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 Um. Or or or, or anything like any of the, the the countries who have you know serious reactionary policies yeah um bordering getting kicked out of the eu for the the eu for their policies Mm -hmm. um but no it was um it was a mix of of uh pros and cons um i didn't really communicate with uh, those people that much i communicated with the locals more than i communicated with uh the immigrants um but uh, yeah it was it was very interesting and to to the extent of there are um, there are pockets of, you know, heavy immigration. I'm sure that there are. Mm-hmm. Paris is a huge city. Paris is, Paris yeah. is huge. London's almost 10 million people. Of course, there's going to be pockets of people. There's pockets of, uh, of those people in New York City and LA. Mm-hmm. Um, so, y- you know, to, to hype it up as much? No, I went around Paris um, a lot and I never saw any of it. And um, the immigrants that, you, you know, they a lot of them drive Uber and they do that stuff and they're totally fine. It's, there's nothing like that. Um, but going back to your... Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I just... I was no, you're fine. You're fine. That, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. And that's going to be where we leave off this week's episode. Be sure to tune in next week for the conclusion of our conversation. We really just go all over the board and we try and... We just ask a bunch of really good questions that I think will be the foundation of some answers that we might discover in, I don't know, 20 years or maybe in our next lifetime or something like that. I'm not sure. But uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to reach out. Comments on Facebook, Twitter. If you found this interesting, shoot me a private message if you don't want to make it public. I would love to find out anything else that you guys would like for us to discuss. And uh, don't forget, if we fear what we do not understand, the answer must be to try to understand everything. So I hope you have a good morning, a good evening, and good night.